Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 13 of the Dan Scott Show podcast. I am Dan. Very happy to have you with us. Wherever you get your podcast, we're grateful that you have searched us out and are joining us for another episode. And as I always say, I think we've got a good one for you today. I am ever the optimist. Hope you are enjoying the uh, rebrand. I have to tell you, last week's episode, the one in which we returned after being off for almost three months, uh, has uh, gotten quite a bit of traction telling the the story of uh, Eric Bowman and his wife, Kim, 10 years after the loss of their daughter, Emma. If you haven't heard that episode yet, it was episode 12. They're all archived here on the site. You can go back and and check it out. Uh, I would highly suggest you do that. And as always, we ask that you uh, you like it and you share it. We'd love to hear your comments and your feedback. You can always do that on whatever platform uh, that you're listening to us on, or you can drop me an email, thedanscottshow at gmail.com, and let us know what you like, what you don't like. We would love to interact with you. I, I do take the feedback seriously, love hearing from you, and uh, look forward to that interaction as we uh, move ahead. We are, um, I am very excited about this episode because you know I love baseball, you know I love the Cincinnati Reds, and when I get an opportunity to spend some time with a guy who played baseball for the Cincinnati Reds, I'm all in, man. I'm ready to roll. Eddie Tobinsey is that guy. Um, I I mentioned, I think last week, I had a chance to do a couple of uh, college baseball broadcasts with Eddie. Uh, in recent weeks, and, and and just got to know him a little bit, uh, and, and his wife Renee, and what what beautiful people they are, and, and uh, getting Eddie to to share his heart, open up uh, about not just his playing career, which we are going to talk about and, and have some fun with, and relive a uh, a uh, an incredible 1999 season in Cincinnati, but more importantly, his faith journey and where God has him now. Uh, I, I really think you're going to enjoy this episode coming up. Uh, I will remind you before we get there, though, that the podcast is presented each and every week by our friends at Todaro Pizza. The Markley Street location here in Greenville, South Carolina, is the one that we always focus on because John and his folks there have been such a a great supporter of everything that I do from uh, this podcast to the Greenville Drive broadcast. They're located right down the block from the Drive Stadium. So if you're going to the games, if you're here in the area, what a great stop before or after a game. And um, just bucket list pizza, man. It's that good. Uh, they have the Sloan Street location in Clemson. That's where I first got uh, got to know the uh, the folks at uh, Todaro. Chris has been running that one for years. If you're coming to the area, you've never been here, you've never had Todaro Pizza, you need to check them out. T-O-D-A-R-O Pizza. Find them on Facebook, find them on Twitter, and always tell them you heard about them here on the Dan Scott Show podcast. All right, let's uh, let's step aside, let you hear from some other people. And when we come back, the extended conversation that I had this week with 11-year big league catcher, Eddie Tobinsey. That's on the other side. Don't go away. Every sports fan's goal should be make it to the Hall of Fame. Well, we have you covered with Hall of Fame Sports Grill at 531 Wade Hampton Boulevard in Greenville. Known for their great food and fantastic daily specials, Hall of Fame has you covered with all the game action on their 30 televisions. Plus weekly events like Tuesday night's bar trivia for dummies, Wednesday night's music bingo, Thursday night's dirty bingo, and karaoke with Fred Rock every Friday. That's 531 Wade Hampton Boulevard, HalloFameSportsGrill.com. You might know that State Farm agent Ed Patterson has great service. He's your good neighbor after all. But did you know State Farm has surprisingly great rates too? Yep, that's right. Along with good neighbor service, State Farm agent Ed Patterson has surprisingly great rates for everyone in Greenville. So call State Farm agent Ed Patterson at 864-322-0031 for your surprisingly great rates today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Individual premiums will vary by customer. All applicants subject to State Farm underwriting requirements. Do you or someone you know have a question about affordable housing? Homes of Hope is a Greenville-based nonprofit that is the largest developer of single-family affordable housing in South Carolina. 
Since its formation in 1998, Homes of Hope has developed almost 700 affordable homes, with another 200 in the pipeline. They've also graduated more than 320 men from their workforce development program, helping men overcome addictions. The goal? Providing generational change throughout South Carolina, and they need your support. Visit the website homesofhope.org and like and follow on Facebook and Instagram at Homes of Hope SC. Do you or someone you know have questions about affordable housing? Homes of Hope is a Greenville-based nonprofit that is the largest developer of single-family affordable housing in South Carolina. Since its formation in 1998, Homes of Hope has developed almost 700 affordable homes, with another 200 in the pipeline. They've also graduated more than 320 men from their workforce development program, helping men overcome addictions. The goal? Provide generational change throughout South Carolina, and they need your support. Visit the website homesofhope.org and like and follow on Facebook and Instagram at Homes of Hope SC. Dan Scott here for the Atlanta Bread Company. What do I like about Atlanta Bread? Well, too much to mention in a short commercial, but here are a few things. Bread baked daily fresh on site, a tremendous selection of soup, sandwiches, and salads, seasonal special additions to the menu, delicious hot coffee, and a bevy of other drink options, and yeah, can't forget about the baked sweet goodies. Dine in or carry out, and when you have the Atlanta Bread Company app, you can order and pay online, then breeze past the lines to the pickup counter to get your food. Experience it for yourself. That's the Atlanta Bread Company, Cherrydale Point in Greenville. Dan Scott Show podcast, wherever podcasts are found. Episode 13, good to have you with us. I want to jump right into this because it is an extended interview, almost an hour with our guest. I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, I got a chance to do a couple of game broadcasts with Eddie Tobinsey, the former big league catcher. And prior to that, he and I had communicated. His wife, Renee, actually is the one who kind of coordinated that. And his son plays baseball at North Greenville University, a Division II school here in the northern part of Greenville County in the upstate of South Carolina um, and plays for another former major league catcher, Landon Powell, who is one of uh, just, I think, 21, maybe 22 catchers in Major League Baseball history who've caught a perfect game. He was the catcher when Dallas Braden threw his Mother's Day perfect game. I think it was back in 2010, the former University of South Carolina standout. Anyway, so that's how I got to know Eddie and uh, he agreed to uh, sit down and spend some time with us. We talked for almost an hour about his career, about just an incredible 1999 season in Cincinnati that went to a 163rd game and ended in heartbreak, and then more importantly, about what God has done in his life during that time and since and the ministry he's involved in now. You're going to enjoy this interview with Eddie Tobinsey. As I mentioned, very excited to have uh, our guest with us on, on this episode. It's episode 13 of the podcast. Eddie Tobinsey was an 11-year major leaguer, mostly uh, with the Cincinnati Reds, part of a, a team that will always be special to Reds fans, which ironically enough didn't make the playoffs, but uh, just captured the hearts and the imagination of Reds fans uh, all over the country, that 1999 team. He uh, was a catcher on that team, offensively had, had the best season of his career. Uh, he is a, a Christian, has gone into ministry work since his playing days were over, uh, has a son who plays baseball at North Greenville University. I had the privilege of doing a couple of broadcasts with him recently, and uh, just an incredible guy from a great family, and uh, excited to spend some time with him on the podcast here. Eddie Tobinsey joining us. How are you, man? Dan, I am doing wonderful here in Orlando, Florida. Nice and warm and, and just this good weather. You know, as as you and I are recording this, my wife is actually in Orlando with uh, my daughter her, and her husband and our two oldest grandchildren. Uh, they're at Disney, the, the kids are, for the first time. And, and I've talked to my wife a couple of times. She's FaceTimed me each of the last two mornings, and they are running that poor woman ragged. <laughs> Disney will do that to you. It'll wear you out. In fact, you know, we are where I live, I'm like five minutes from Disney World. So we we hear the fireworks every night. 
and it, and it's when we hear it, we just know what time it is. Yeah, well, that's a good. You never have to worry about setting your clock that way, do you? That's true. Hey, I got to tell you, man, I, I had a great time uh, broadcasting those North Greenville baseball games with you uh, as we're recording this. It was last weekend. Um, I, I don't know if you've done much broadcasting before, but but the the thing that I enjoyed the most about it, you can tell when you're working with a guy who played the game at the highest level. You, you had a knack for seeing a situation and being able to predict what was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Some of it is, is pretty, pretty obvious when you have fun. You think about a situation of, you know, who, who's on base, who's probably going to steal the other team. If they don't score many runs, they're probably going to have to bunt it to, to, to get some runs. But there, there I, I remember there was one time uh, there we, we had, we had one of our best base runners on, on second base, I said, man, we need to get him over to third base. We need a wild pitch from the pitcher to get him over to third base. And and, lo, and he hasn't been really wild the whole game. And lo and behold, he does it. And and, and so that's kind of, you know, you know, I don't. That's just, that's just Dan. That's just a little bit of luck and just kind of a little bit of just hoping. Well, and <laughs> and and you know, as a baseball player, sometimes you'd rather be lucky than good, right? Well, and sometimes you just, you know, what to be honest, sometimes you just feel it you know you just sometimes you feel things and you just you make a call or a manager makes a move and he's just like what what are they what is he doing what are they saying it works out it works out were you always even as a kid were you always infatuated with the game of baseball oh i just loved loved baseball just growing up here in orlando playing baseball all the time we you know all the baseball we had was tbs with the braves or wgn with the with the Cubs and that was all the baseball we had and, and I just those two teams I watched all the times and we did have the twins in spring training here in Orlando Florida at that time so every I think a handful of times I went to a twin spring training game and, and that was super fun but anytime we were watching you know the the TV the games we would we would immediately after the game, our friends would go out, get a wiffle ball, get a bat, and just start emulating the guys that we like on each of those teams, and just try to try to hit like them, you know, play like them, and just you know, recreate stuff, you know, you know, in, in the backyards. That that was old Tinker Field back in the day, wasn't it? it sure was Tinker Field, right next to the football stadium. It's Tinker Field's not there anymore. I got mm-hmm. a chance to even play there in the minor leagues a little bit, but it was it's. Uh, it was a it was a great place for for the twins to have spring training for a little while. All right, so so as a kid, I think we all did this. The, the first batting stance that I tried to emulate as a kid was Dave Concepcion's. Uh, whose whose batting stance did you try to copy? You know what? It's funny. I think I remember one of the first ones when you try to emulate batting stances. You want to do the the most unique ones. Um, and I remember watching the game was games of the weeks on Saturday. Those were big games. So man, I did Willie Stargell. Uh, a lot you know he he, he, just, he just twirled the bat mm-hmm. a little bit he had a little bit of a rhythmic move with his bat obviously George Brett you lean back into into your backside and be like George Brett obviously everybody wanted to do uh, we did a lot of the Pete Rose um, type type of thing so it's just a- anybody kind of had a unique batting stance uh, you know, they, they, they were twirling their bad doing something we tried to do. Well, I, I, I just remember, I, I think it might've been one of the first little league games I played Concepcion had, had that closed stance and, and it was kind of loosey goosey in the box. And every time he walked into the box, you know, he was Catholic, he crossed himself. So I did that. And my dad, after the game said, son, we're not Catholic. Don't do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but, uh, I, I think as, as kids, as kids, we all did that. When, when did you recognize that, Hey, I might be pretty good at this game. Well, that, that that's funny, Dan. I, I didn't start playing on an organized baseball team till I was 10 years old in Orlando. And you know, that's, nowadays that's way late Mm -hmm. Uh, but even back then you know kids are already playing ball at you know five six years old and and seven years old so I just told my dad I used to always play catch with my dad and do sports with my dad and and it's just one day I said dad I want to go try out for his baseball team I want to I want to play sport I want to play league rec ball and back in our day I lived in Castleberry and Castleberry had uh, two baseball teams. There was Castleberry one and Castleberry two. Castleberry one was, you know, the good team. 
they're, they're, they're the good team that, uh, you know, they, they always stack the team and things like that. And Castleberry too is always kind of, I don't want to say the bad news bears type of team, but they, they always kind of, kind of got the leftovers. And, and I remember, so nobody knew who I was. So as a 10 year old, I'm coming in, I remember going to the elementary school, the backfields at elementary school. And they, they put all the kids at shortstop. I was kind of in the back of the line. Every kid got five ground balls, throw it the first, you know, and this Castleberry two coach was doing the hitting and it comes to me and I'm all excited. So I get one ground ball, throw it the first, I get two ground balls, throw it the first. And he goes, that's enough. I say, go, go get in the back of the line. And so I, apparently what I, what already, it already stood out that uh, even though I never played organized baseball, I was ahead of the curve already. He was trying <laughs> to hide me from the other coach from seeing me already. So, so really from, I always had a natural uh, gifting uh, in athletics and, and especially in baseball. All right. So let's try to put this time frame into context. Cause I think you and I are close to the same age. You're how old now? I'm 53. 53. I just turned 55 last week. So yeah, we, we are or you're in, in just about the same time frame. So we're talking about playing Little League Baseball here in the 1970s, the mid to late 1970s, right? Yeah, early 80s, yeah. probably around 1980, 81. And this is before travel ball. There's no such thing as travel ball. So anytime you play rec ball, any, 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 tra- any all-star in Little League or high school baseball, it's all the best players. That's the only places to go. So the the next step then is when somebody else said, hey, this Toppensee kid is pretty good and maybe has a chance to play at the next level. When did that happen? That, that That's interesting. That took a while. I mean, I was playing in Little League and, uh, you know, and playing rec ball. And, you know, when I got to 11 and 12 years old, and he was playing a couple of years. I was already one of the better kids in the league, hitting the most home runs and, and things. Uh, it didn't get to where things started to, to really get fun. When I was 15 years old, I switched from our, our Pony League system to over to Altamont Little League for 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 my age 15 season because they were having some good years. They had some good all-star teams where they would lose to teams in Tampa to lose to go to the Little League World Series. So they were so close. And they were losing to a team in Tampa, Belmont Heights, that had – Derek Carr and Gary Sheffield on it all the time and they couldn't get past them. And, um, and so I came over there at 15 years old to play senior, senior league level at uh, Altamont little league. And I got a chance to be on their all-star team. And we in fact ended up beating that team with Gary Sheffield and, and Derek, Derek Bell, big league, big league for a long time. And we, we were able to get to the little league, the senior league world series and, and beat Taiwan for our championship. And what's interesting, Dan, that year, as in 1984, our 12 year old team went to Williamsport and, and Jason Veritek was the catcher for, for that team. And, and so we, we could have had two teams from the same place, uh, you know, kind of represent and win a championship. But on that team, I was, I was a good player. I was kind of like an all around player. I played third base. I catch a little bit. Um, he played some outfield and I, and I was a good player on the team. And, and you know what, it, it was after that, Dan, after my, that was my sophomore year. And then, you know what, from my, my sophomore to the junior year, I went from five ten to six, three, I, I grew six inches. And, and, and really that's when I just started to pass everybody up. And when I started playing against the same guys who were, were like, well, yeah, Eddie's a good ball player. It's like, what the heck happened to Eddie? You know, and so I, I started getting tall. So now every time I hit the ball, ball goes farther. I could throw harder from behind the plate. It's just, uh, it's just one of those things where Mother Nature can't, you know, did, did its job. And uh, and I tell kids, I tell my sons, when that, when you, that, it's that computer upgrade, when that upgrade system comes, you just never know what happens. I, I grew from five eight to six two in the summer between my eighth grade and ninth grade year, and then I did not grow another inch taller. The, the, re- the rest that, of my that, life. And that's what I did from my sophomore year to my junior year. And that's where everything changed and being a good ball player to now all that leverage, all that height. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just, just changed everything. So now I'm a senior in high school and, and uh, these kids who I played this all-star team with, uh, they're some of the best players around. Now I'm kind of a little bit better than them. And now the scouts are coming to see me uh, and play and, um, I've kind of, kind of passed everybody up. What what was that experience like when, when now suddenly you've got major league scouts who are showing interest and in coming to watch you play? 
it, it was it was really fun. Um, in fact, you know, obviously I probably had a little nerves. I'm, I didn't uh, tear up my senior year like I should have. Five hundred. I probably hit just over three hundred and uh, things like that. But um, I was a, I was a young senior. I was a sixteen year old senior and just turned and turned seventeen in my senior year. So I, I was really most guys are eighteen. So I'm really. Uh, 17 years old so I'm a year younger than everybody playing and it, it was really fun there were there was games where you know the scouts that they're, they're this is the only place where they could go see see the talent so we, we'd have about you know 25 scouts there with their with their stopwatches and guns and and, and things like that and uh we, we we and actually we had games where I was playing against another guy who was a year behind me he was a junior he was the second pick in the nation behind Ken Griffey Jr., a guy named Mark Merchant, who played in Oviedo. So, so there was a lot of talent mm-hmm. in our area, a lot of scouts looking at a lot of guys. And I, I the biggest question, Dan, I get it from scouts. I'll even go to – I went to tryouts and stuff. They, 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 they asked me, what size shoe do you wear? Because uh, I told them I wore like a 13 or 14 shoe. And they wanted to see how big my hands were. I had very big hands. Uh, from for my size and he asked me if I shaved and and I said well no I don't shave yet and, and so what they knew they were getting they're getting a young kid they draft him boy there's a lot left in me he's very he's raw a lot to teach him he's gonna get bigger he's gonna get stronger he already he can hit the ball a long way when he hits it and he's got a cannon for an arm it's just teaching him the finer points of the game how many baseballs could you hold in one hand I, I can still remember that picture of Johnny Bench with with seven baseballs in one hand. You know what? I, I've ne- I've never tried, but I, I I pretty much have the same size hand as Johnny Bench, and it's, and he's got a huge hand, but not but he's like five ten, mm-hmm. and I'm six three. So um, there's a lot of advantages having these big hands. That you just the ball feels probably just feels like you could throw the, you feel like you could throw the ball harder. You know, gripping the bat. There, there's a lot of a lot a lot of big big advantages, I guess to, guess to it. And so I had to. Get, so they knew I was going to grow into my hands and feet. <laughs> Visiting with Eddie Tobinsey, uh on uh, this edition of the show, uh, talking baseball, going to transition in, into his faith journey here in, in just a bit. But uh, just just love hearing, and, and for the young people who are listening to this, this these are the, the olden days before social media, so Eddie couldn't put uh, his reel up on, on YouTube for scouts to watch. They actually had to come and see him play in person and then somebody decided they wanted to draft you right that's that's exactly right and uh and the funniest thing is you know i knew there were scouts i knew there was a couple teams interested and uh back in 1986 i found out i was drafted by uh, uh a telegram that came in the mail <laughs> I, I i i got a, i got the telegram that came in the mail and saying congratulations to cincinnati reds uh, and taking in the sixth round. And then I got a phone call a little bit later from somebody from the Reds organization to what, tell, tell me congratulations. What was your signing bonus? Oh, my God. I I, I took the same – whatever they gave me, mm-hmm. I took – I think I got – now that I, I, that's $20,000 in the sixth round. I didn't try to negotiate mm-hmm. because I, I figured, you know what, I don't want to lose this. And if I'm going to make the big leagues, that's where I'm going to make my money. Didn't want so, them to change their mind, right? I didn't want them to change their mind. Right, right. What, they, what they, we did negotiate, if I was in the minor leagues, I didn't make the big leagues, they would pay for my college yeah. if, I, if I didn't make it, which, was, which I had nothing to lose. So I said, let's start now. Re- reason I ask about that, uh, you mentioned King Griffey Jr. a minute ago. There, there's a story I read about King Griffey Sr. When he got drafted, he was drafted so low in the draft back in those days in the uh, 60s that his quote-unquote signing bonus was a pair of a couple of pair of red stirrups and and a red jacket didn't even say Cincinnati on it it was just a red windbreaker uh and then the old joke that Bob Euchre told at, at his um his hall of fame induction that the uh the Milwaukee Braves you know wanted to sign him for five thousand dollars but his dad didn't have that kind of money <laughs> so it's funny but but there's there's stories there's there's a little little truth in, in those embellishments and you know there wasn't much there wasn't much fanfare mm-hmm. there, there really there really wasn't obviously you know some of the the bigger picks you know they they, they get on the the you know in the magazines and things like that but uh 
there really wasn't. You just get in the system and you don't get known until you get up there. Well, just the fact that you got notified by Telegram, which is a form yeah. of communication that doesn't exist anymore. You know, Western Union, all people know about now is if, if you need to, that's the way you can go send money to somebody. But that was a form of communication for about 150 years and, and now it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, now, not then, to, not to way, say you're old or anything. It was a way to get a message to somebody as quick as you could, right? And, and that's what I got, and uh, that that's how that's how I found that's how I found out, and I was very happy. That, that was that was kind of a Neanderthal text message back in the day. So we're visiting with Eddie Tobinsey here uh, on the show. So uh, you drafted by the Reds, and, and you ended up taking kind of a circuitous route to the big leagues with the Reds because you got traded away from that organization and then traded back to them, right? Well, yeah, it was an interesting, um, yeah, how it happened. I spent five years in the minors with them, uh, developing uh, mainly in the, in the lower minor leagues. I had some good years. There was years where I was on, the, I was protected on the 40-man roster and uh, in big league camp in, you know, with, with, the, with, the, with the Reds in 89, and just just because that's what you do after your third year in the minors to, to protect your 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 star players, but then in in, in or in '88, but in '89 I had a I struggled a little bit, and uh, they took me off the big the 40 man roster. So in 1990 I had a really big year in A ball in Cedar Rapids. You know I I hit I hit 16 or 17 home runs, drove in about 65 runs, and. And then I was uh, on the all-star team there and one of the top prospects in the league, I think. And I was like, excited. I was ready. Okay. I want to get back in the Reds good grace and be on their uh, 40 man again and, and get, get going again. But unfortunately they didn't protect me on the 40 man roster. They put me on a triple a roster what happened is I got picked up in a rule five draft. They, they call it in the off season. And I don't talk about this a lot, but the, I was picked up by the Oakland A's. In, in spring tra- in the rule five, which means uh, they just lost to the Reds of the world series in night in 1990. Mm-hmm. I was going to big league camp with them in 1991. So, so I was with, I was with the Oakland A's in big league camp spring training with, you know, Ricky Henderson, Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, Terry Steinbeck. And, and, and so since I was picked up in the rule five draft off the triple A roster, they they were supposed to keep me on the big league team or give me back to the Reds somehow. And and so what happened is I was with them all spring training, hit 300 or more, did well. And the last day of spring training, we flew to Oakland to, pay, to play the Bay Bridge Series. I flew into the Oakland Coliseum, went into to the locker room, and they said, Tony LaRusso wants to see you. I said, oh, gosh. So I went in. I didn't even get a chance to see the field, Dan. Uh, and he goes, Eddie, we tried, we tried to wait till the last day of spring training. We tried to sneak you through waivers, put you in our AAA team, but the Cleveland Indians picked you up. And so when you get picked off of waivers, it goes from the last, the worst team to, to the best team. So the team that had the worst record at that time was the Indians. And so I was picked up by the Indians. And I went from that year, I went from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a ball to to opening day with the Cleveland Indians in Kansas City me and my name being called I went from a ball to the big leagues four days and then after four days rosters are set and they snuck me through waivers and I got a chance to play triple a triple a big leagues with the Indians that year in 91 and that's how I got to be with the Indians it wasn't a trade it was was kind of like a it was kind of like a, a just just things happened and uh i got i got picked up and i and i was uh, i was a commodity a good commodity to have yeah so so you you got some early lessons about the business end of the game of baseball right well and plus i got i, I got i skipped double a and and went to straight to triple a and triple a big leagues that year so it, it was the best thing for me eddie tobinsey joining us as we continue talking about his baseball journey uh so eventually how did you navigate your way back to Cincinnati? And, and then I want to talk a little bit about that 99 season before we transition to your faith journey a little bit, but how did you get back yeah, to Cincinnati? Yeah, real quick. I was with the Indians for, for a year and uh, the Indians needed uh, a center fielder. And so, and, and the Astros needed a catcher. They moved the uh, all-star catcher from behind the plate. The Astros did They moved them to second base. Craig Biggio. Craig uh, Biggio. <laughs> And, and so we had, and the Astros already had a great outfielder. Steve, Steve Finley had an amazing career until mm-hmm. his forties, but the, 
they, they, they were able to trade, they traded away Kenny Lofton basically for me uh, to go to the Indians. And then, so that, that was a big trade that I'm known to be a part of. So I was with the Astros for a few years, developing, doing, doing nicely, kind of getting a little better every year. Um, but uh, unfortunately uh, the Reds, Joe Oliver, 94, he was playing catching with the Reds. He got some kind of, a, a, this, something happened, a disease in his leg or something, something happened to his legs where he was out and they needed a catcher. And so obviously they knew of me. So they traded me back and I was with the Reds from 94 through 2000 since and never, never left. And uh, I was there for seven years. So it was, it was nice to come back to the Reds and uh, it, was, it was a nice way to come back. And as you made sure to point out during our broadcast last weekend, you hit 500 in the 1995 playoffs. That's right. In the 1995 <laughs> playoffs, we lost to the Braves to go to the world series and I did my part. I hit 500. I went one for two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that that year, Benito Santiago was catching in the playoffs most of the time. And he got hurt during the year. And this is when things started happening that good for me. In 1995, in 94, we were in first place. And I was catching and doing well. But then there was a strike year. And then 95, we came back. You know, we got this young catcher top and see, you know, but we need, you know, but they were able to get Benito Santiago, this veteran, and he had elbow problems. He had elbow surgery at the beginning part of the year. So for the first two and a half, three months of the season, I got a chance to carry the team. And so when Benito came, we were platooning because I was, I was hitting just with him or even a little bit better. And, but when it came to the playoff time, he got the chance to catch all the games, but I came in here and there, double switch or whatever. I got a chance to get a couple of bats, got a hit. So let's talk about that 99 team very quickly, because as I said, in in, in the, the hearts of Cincinnati fans, it's, it's strange from one sense because it's a team that didn't make the playoffs. It's a team that won 96 games and, and went to a one-game playoff to, to see who would go to the playoffs and, and lost that 163rd game to the New York Mets, but, but it's a team, Eddie, that, that kind of came out of nowhere. There were no real uh, expectations for that team, at least among the fan base. I, I don't know what it was like in, in the locker room in spring training, but there were no real national expectations for that 99 team, and, and boy, was that a fun team. It was a fun team, and what was, I think, the secret of it, a lot of the secret was Jack McKeon. Jack McKeon came over to manage earlier in the 98 season, Um and when he did, he just let guys play. For, for instance, myself, I was a part-time platoon player, catcher for most of my, my career. Then in 1998, he I became the everyday catcher. I was catching every day, catching 125, catching 130 games a year. And I got a chance to do the things I thought I was capable of doing. And he was doing that with a lot of the younger players, letting them develop. And, uh, you know, I had a nice year in 98, driving in over 70 runs. And other players were getting their feet wet. And then in 99 came around, uh, we're, we're another year into it, you know, stronger, you know, got a lot of baseball. And then we bring in Greg Vaughn. We're bringing Greg Vaughn a great presence in the lineup, mm -hmm. you know, that, that could protect, uh, you know, that, that you can't pitch around, that, that helps so many other people, helps Barry Larkin, um, you know, Sean Casey get, hits better, you know, myself, Dimitri Young, there was Aaron Boone and, and Pokey Reese, she's like everybody that year played up to their capability. And, and we had good pitching. We didn't have pitchers where you're like, oh my gosh, this guy is, you know, you're, you're going in scared to death because we got these two guys pitching. We, we had good quality pitchers who competed, who, who kept us in the games and did well. We had actually, we had actually had a good bullpen, very good bullpen with two great uh, uh, reliever uh, who are our stoppers with, uh, with um, Danny Graves and uh, Scott Williamson. And we had other relievers too who did great. So um, yeah, that year we, we believed, we believed, boy, we did, when we started to believe right before the all-star break, we had a 10 game West coast trip against all first place teams. And I think, I think we won all 10 games and that's when we thought we could do this and we, and we could do this. And we really believed that we were going to do it. And that last game, Al Leiter just pitched a great game. And uh, it was really, it was really, but I never, never saw it coming. I thought for sure 
we'll be in the playoffs and I, Dan, I was going to be si- excited personally for myself, man. Now I get to catch, mm-hmm. I get to catch every day in the playoffs. I get to do my part because I did my part all year catching you know, all those games to get us to help us get the 96 wins. And, uh, it, it was fun. And, uh, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad the Reds fans really remember that even though we didn't make it to the playoffs, but man, it, it was a special year. When, and the the time comes for everybody. Sometimes you get to make the decision. Sometimes baseball make the decision for you. But but when did you know it was time to hang them up? Well, it, was, it wasn't my decision. Uh, it was actually in 2000 when it was happening. I was playing that year kind of off and on. My back was bothering me and it come and go. And and it, it was the weirdest thing. I was hit. I was hitting probably about 2.30 in, into, into June or July and uh then all of a sudden my back felt great i told my wife i said you know what i think it's gone whatever it is and we went into montreal and i went on like a 12 for 15 hitting streak uh, you know 12 hits and 15 at bats and i just went crazy hitting homers and went into shea stadium got a base play started against a left-handed pitcher got a base hit first at bat and uh one of our pitchers tried to lay it laid a bunt down uh, to get me over to second, I just felt something like somebody stabbed me in the back and I went down and I, and that's when I ruptured my disc and I was, that was out for the rest of the year and had surgery that off season. And, and, uh, and I, then, then the reds, what they did, they, they traded me to the Indians, uh, that off season. And I was uh, backing up in a- a- RD as we, in 2001, we went to the playoffs, but I was really playing hurt all year you know, playing part-time. And, and so, and I, so really my back was never the same since I, I tried to get through it, but uh, after the 2001 season and 2002 season, I was in spring training with the, with the Indians. And at one point I came off the field and I, I had to tell my agent, I told the team, I said, I just, my back is killing me. And so we went to see a back doctor. He said, Eddie, good news is you don't need surgery. He says, the bad news is you don't need surgery. <laughs> you got an old man's back, basically. So being a catcher does that to you. So I tried to get back in really good shape and 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 to and to come back after two or three months and it just just couldn't do it. And so I was I still had a couple more years on a contract and the Indians were going in a new young direction. And so they, they decided to let me go. And and so that's the kind of how it worked for me, Dan. It wasn't my choice. I could mm-hmm. So one of those things I could look back at my career wasn't my what the, my skills were gone. It was just that physically I couldn't do it. it. It makes it a little bit easier to handle, and it's hard to handle it either way. The, the, did it take some time to? And I, I don't know if you ever find a way to quench the competitive fire. You 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 hear guys who have retired, whether it's on their own terms or not, talk about not finding something to replace that competitive fire uh was that difficult for you when you were no longer playing the game uh well yeah you just find it in different areas there's there's some guys that come out of the game they're still active that they they find that maybe on the golf course um you know doing other kind of physical activities you know uh things like that i you know um for me yeah you, you find it just doing little things whether it's just uh if you like to go exercise in the gym or or just uh, it's funny doing yard work or washing your car. You man, you get you get locked in. I'm going to do it like I I would. Uh, I'm preparing myself for a big league game. So you it it does it really does you know coaching things like that. It does translate over that competitiveness and over and especially when you have kids and you start coaching your kids. But I think a lot of the big leaguers understand not only the competitiveness, but they understand the reality of making the game fun for kids and realizing that, you know, it's just just a game. Yeah. And and you were telling me, speaking of kids, you've got three sons. Yeah. uh, And and ironically, the one who's playing college baseball is the one who never saw you play. No, he's he's a year old when I got out of the game in 2001. And he's got, boy, he's so much. He's like a mini me. He's got my mannerisms (laughs) out there. He plays a lot. I mean, he, he's, he plays so – he pitches with everything he got. He's got he, – he's locked in. He cares. He competes. And I was the same way. But you know what? But he, he, he did – I didn't say much on, uh, on the field, only, only when it needed to be said. And so he 
you know, he's a lot the same way. His, you know what, he's he's a great teammate, but when when he gets out between the lines, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna grind it out and be intense and and you know give me the ball no matter what. I'll I'll give you everything I got. If he's a, if he's a a, a mini Eddie Topmancy, does Renee your wife walk around and saying that's the last thing I need is another one of this guy in the house? Oh, she loves it. It's just <laughs> crazy. We 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 talk we talk the same and we just kind of have fun and. Uh, and it's great. What's great about it, he loves having me around the practices and, and talking baseball, just talking about, hey, here's what I see. What are you doing? Oh, you're looking great. I don't tell him much anymore because mm-hmm. he's 22 years old. I said, man, you're a grown man. I said, yeah, you know, you know what you need to get done. Get after it and go get it and um, and, and chase it. Eddie Tobinsey with us. Uh, let, let's let's transition into what I consider to be the most important part of this. I want to talk about your faith journey. Um, tell tell me first of all how and when you came to Christ. Yeah, that was during baseball. It was really during uh, the early time in my big leagues um, in nineteen. I think it was the end of the nineteen ninety uh, five season. Uh, there, there's this organization that was in sports. It was in football. It got into baseball. It's called Pro Athletes Outreach. And what they are, they were a conference-based ministry. They would put on conferences in the offseason for NFL football players and coaches and, and, and professional baseball players and coaches. And they would bring in the best Bible teachers in the nation to teach Bible. They teach about finances and relationships. And more importantly, they, they, they wanted – athletes that use your platform to make a positive impact in the world for, for Christ. And, and so, and that this year it would came to Orlando, Florida, and I got a pamphlet in my, um, in my chair and I threw it away. And so this is, you know, even before the internet, before computer and somebody called, we were in the home. It was like the day before the conference and somebody called my wife and said, Hey, did you sign up for the conference? And my wife looked at me, I said, Hey, I thought we were going to this conference to sign up and uh, i think it's the first time i ever got angry at, at her i said that nah, we're not going to that dumb thing and so forget about it and so she said oh yeah watch this so she <laughs> called up the phone gave them our credit card and i'm like all right i'll just sit in the back row for the this conference and i'll get through it and i'll just keep doing what i was doing before but uh, going there dan i knew i knew i i was going to be confronted with something and really the first night the gospel was shared and here it was a guy named um tom schrader who was a great pastor in in arizona he has since passed away but he just basically talked about how how god made us in his own image and and i tell people i I, you know i didn't read the bible but i knew that was like on the first page somewhere and um he talked about how we don't mold god into our image you know and basically what i was doing in my life i was trying to mold god to, to mold, to fit in my, my lifestyle instead of me change for him. God's not going to change for me. Right. I'm going to have to do the changing. And, and I, I knew I'd been on the fence and kind of, you know, going to chapel now and then because, you know, uh, John Smoltz was pitching or Kurt Schilling. And, and <laughs> I, I thought it was a, and plus I thought it was a good motivational speech a lot. And so in that night, you know, the spirit worked in, I just said, Lord, I give up. I give up. I, I give it to you. I don't know what's going to happen, what's going to go on, you know, how it's going to affect my baseball. Because I, to be honest, and I've shared this in my testimony a lot of other places, there was stuff that I was doing, like I was taking um, amphetamines before that, before every game, you know, and uh, and people thought that's performance enhancing. But for me, it was the opposite. It made me too jittery. I did horrible. I, I, I couldn't control my emotions. And But I said, Lord, I'm quitting doing that. I don't care how that makes me feel you know, what that does, the side effects. And, but I did that and, there, and it was, it was, it was hard to do. Um, but then I started to lean on my, 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 um, my chapel leader who, who was there. I mean, we had a lot of questions and I, I we discipled me. We talked through a lot of things. I just had a lot of trust. You know, we didn't have a lot of guys at the time who were really excited about their faith like me. So I was kind of like uh, on my own for a while. And it, it was, it was a, uh, it was kind of a good thing that God was molding me into into that. I'm going to backtrack a little bit in, in your your childhood and your upbringing. Were you raised in a Christian home where, where it was church? Was God no. was it part of your upbringing at all? 
No, God wasn't at the forefront. My parents would be like, you know, hey, if you, Eddie, if you wanted to go, that's great. My grandma would go to church. And I just remember one day just tell my mom, I knew there was something more. I said, Mom, I, I wanted to start going to church and learn about God. And I was, I was about 12 years old. And they sent, to, sent me to my mom, my grandma's Lutheran church in Castleberry. And I just started going there and going to their catechism classes and kind of learning and stuff like that. So God was always drawing me. And so you know, my parents were, you know, we never prayed or never, you know, went to church, even through Christmas or Easter. They were, they were, it was kind of back in those days, like, you know what, Eddie, you know, if you want to, that, that's great. That, that, that would be good. That'd be good for you. Eddie Toppensey with us. Uh, as a Christian in, in the big leagues, did you run into any kind of resistance during, during that time after you came to Christ? Well, you know, the only, to be honest, the only resist not not necessarily for my faith that they're gonna hate me for my faith. It, it, it's 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 the fact what I stood for and and how I stood for, it, and they didn't understand um, grace and, and and God's working. For instance, uh, you know, I, before Jesus, I was I was hanging with certain guys. Now, after Jesus, I'm not hanging with them doing a lot of the things that we're doing. And 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 let's, and let's say, for instance, just you know, my wife would like to come on a lot of the road trips with me. And so it got to a point, Dan, where uh, I was put on the other side of the hotel away from certain people. And and, and so um, and I've, I've had guys in the past kind of tell me to, hey, you know what, could, could you not you know, hey, which could your wife not come on this trip or that trip? And I'm like, no, you know, that's I want my family there. So in that sense, there could have been some pushback. I'm not saying it was widespread, but you know, every every now and then, things like that happen. Right. So we're we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. And I think that's a pretty good example of that. You had to make some decisions not to do the things you were doing before Christ, even though you were still on the team and, and with those same people. And, and that had to be, that had to be tough. I, I would imagine. And, and I, I don't know what the conversations were like, but I would think that it might've gone along the lines of, Oh, so now you think you're too good to, to, to hang with us and, and do some of these things. Right. Well, I guess we, there's a lot of good conversations, uh, but because we saw each other every day, we played hard together. Um, I, I, I think it didn't, it didn't bother me at all, Dan, mm-hmm. because I, I, I didn't care. I slept great at night. I love my family. I wanted them with me. I'm going to be with them forever. And to be honest, in times uh, out of baseball and being in the ministry, we get calls like 10 years later from some of those people to say, hey, you know, because um, we, Eddie, we knew, you know, you and Renee were this way. We, we kind of, I'm struggling, you know, can, can you kind of help us? Isn't that amazing how that works? Yeah, it, it really is. And that's one of the things I didn't see it back then, but I had to trust. I had to believe I knew I was doing the right thing. And that's when you say, you know what, God, you know, God's always at work. He's going to, he's going to honor that in some way. So tell me about the, the, uh, the years after baseball, because uh, you, you went into uh, you and your wife went into a, a ministry to professional athletes, right? Yeah. That, that conference we went to, we just kept on going to it as players uh, we needed it every off season for our own personal growth, for our marriage and for, and for everything. And just being around, you know, other believers in the game to encourage each other and to, to be with each other. So now if we go to another team, I, I know, man, I could go talk to that guy. Um, it, it was refreshing. Um, but once I got after, you know, there was always, when I was playing, there was always a guy named Norm Evans who played for the undefeated dolphins team, who, who was kind of the president of PAO during spring training. I'd be out there on the field practicing and I see this big old man just standing near the fence. And it was the best day of spring training in my life because he took the time to come see me, find me on a back field somewhere, even just to, just to see his face and say, Hey, I did all this to come see you. And he do that to every team and to everybody knows. So after the game, he started taking me on these trips and I used to, and they kind of moved in as, as the ministry was growing football and baseball, they needed other leaders to, he couldn't do both. So Renee and I took over the baseball side of the ministry leadership. And so I was that guy 
for 15 years. I loved every minute of it. So during spring training, I'd visit every every team, every site, Arizona, Florida, and I'd be that guy that just show up in the clubhouse, show up up in the backfield, just like, oh, Eddie, man, I could, I didn't know what day you were coming here, but man, it's great to see your face. So though though that that was fun and just to be there to be an encouraging face and just to remind them, hey. PAOs come out the conference. We want you to come and hey, how can I pray for you? Can you introduce me to somebody on the team that's has been coming to chapel that, that needs to be encouraged? You know that, uh, and also too working alongside the the baseball chapel that's there. The chaplains on the teams already, so we're not competing against each mm-hmm. other. We're working with each other to to build the body of Christ in baseball. You, you referenced it already a, a bit with some of your former teammates years later calling you, but as as you got in into this ministry did you find that your playing career gave you a little bit of what the kids call street cred and and players were a little more willing to open up to you and talk to you and have some of these conversations everything dan the 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 playing 11 years in the big leagues when i walked into a big league clubhouse and you know my name was still kind of fresh on a lot of these guys' minds. Just because I put on a uniform, I'm a safe place. I they don't I don't want nothing from mm-hmm. them. I don't want their autograph. I don't want that. I'm just glad I'm not facing some of you anymore. <laughs> uh, I probably, probably tell them that. Uh, but th- but they know who I was when I was playing and what I'm doing now. And and so to be honest, I can't remember one time where I've asked the player, "Hey, can I get your info to keep up with you, just to pray for you?" There was not one time one person did not say no. That's amazing, Eddie Tobinsy, with us as we get uh, into wrap up mode here. Now you find yourself in the role of a pastor. Did you ever think that was going to be on the horizon? Well, you know, that's funny. I just, I guess, I was always doing is always. I've always been shepherding, always discipling. But there was there became a point like seven years ago, uh, you know, and as the kids were in school, I had some time on my hands, and my pastor who was discipling me, he's you know, online courses were starting to be available for for seminary, and we we looked into the seminary he went to, say, hey Eddie, you could get a you get an online degree, and I'm like, you know what, I would love that, I would love to have some more tools in my belt that's kind of like a coach. A co- Coach tells you what to do, to gives you homework, teaches you, and you do it, and to help you to be better, like not as a ball player, but you know, in my Christian walk. So we did that, and I, I for about three years, I did online schooling with a Dallas Theological Seminary. Got got a got a degree, walked walked, graduated, walked, went to Dallas and walked there too. And, uh, and that was how oh, how many years ago? That was. Uh, that's about five or six years ago. So I do have that in my background, which is great. And I'm always still learning. It's, it's funny. I, now I got that seminary degree. I'm like, I just, I, I'm like, they gave it to me. I don't know anything still. I'm, I'm always <laughs> learning. I'm always growing. Um, and, and, and with the church that we're at, it's, 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 a, it's a young church. There's a lot of young men. And, and I just felt like there was a point that our church needed elders. And so they needed, I just wanted to be an elder at our church to back up our main pastors to say, Hey, like a triple a, mm-hmm. I want to be in triple a. If you need me for anything, you know, I, I'm here to call, call be called up. And, and, and so it's, I'm, I'm behind the scenes teaching pastor elder. And so I'm shepherding and, and discipling and, and doing that all the time. And I, and I love it. And, and tell everybody what you're doing, because it's a really unique ministry at, at a place that's been in the news a lot lately for a lot of different reasons, politically and otherwise. And yet you have a wonderful ministry opportunity. That's true. We, we go to a church here. It's called Mosaic and it's a big, a big church. But we, we have a, camp, a, a little campus. It's near Disney World. It's called Mosaic WDW of mosaic of wdw walt disney world and we and it's been there for 10 years uh it started 10 years ago ministering to 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 the people who work at disney uh who are who are there and, and so they they don't get a lot of um places to go for church and it's hard and we have a lot of our people who at our campus who work there and want to find a way to make an impact so our church is mainly made up of of theme park workers not only disney but also you know there's universal maybe sea world mm-hmm. and, and so yeah there 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 is a lot that's going on with disney and but it doesn't matter to us me it doesn't matter that's my mission field right there's people in there 
that, that, that need to hear the good news of Jesus. And uh, we, we, we are equipping people to be able to go in there and, and to share it. Because think about it. This, this, this is a way to impact the world. The people from all over the world mm-hmm. will come to Disney and you impact. It, it goes throughout the whole world. And, and, that, and that's why I brought up what's going on in the news and, and all the controversy going on, God is always going to have his people in the midst of everything. And, and I just thought it was fantastic when you told me last weekend where your ministry was, because in the midst of that storm, here, here, is, here is the gospel being shared uh, mm-hmm. in, 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 in a very unique way, just an incredible mm-hmm. ministry right there in the middle of all that. I, I just thought that was wonderful. Yeah, thank you, Dan. It's it's a lot of work. So a lot of our, our the people we disciple work there. So they, they're asking questions of how do I react? What how should I think about this certain thing? What should I do? So we we talk about that and I, I understand how you feel about something, but let's see what the word says. And, and so and that's why we always drive people to the word and, and and talk about that. So, you know, we try not to get caught up in too much of the emotion. If we but we let our even if I let my emotions um, dictate me, well, I I I can I can make some you know bad decisions because my emotions feel like wow yeah that should be a certain way or yeah that does seem whatever you know but I have, I have to go to scripture and, and, and to be sure you know it, it, does this hold up to the word of God? I I love absolutely love hearing that as we as we wrap it up uh, and uh, you. you you look at where your life is now. You look at what your ministry is now. If you could put a little bow on everything, uh, what, what do you want people to know about who Eddie Toppensee is, who, who who his family is, what what God has done for you, and 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 where do you see yourself moving forward? What 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 is your purpose in life right now? Well, my pur- well, my purpose is is to, to say yes to God wherever He's got me. To say yes every day to Him. To, to to do the right things. To say the right things. And to 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 be sent in the right places. I, I you know what I'm in my fifties. I feel like I've been through so much and gone through so much. I feel like I'm equi- more equipped now than I've ever been to to minister and, and to do that. And I'm excited, Dan, to see what's going forward. But as my kids get older, they start leaving the house. Um, where, where is that going to, where is that, where is that going to be? I mean, cause I, I love, there's a couple of things I love. I love, I love the Bible and I love baseball. You know, those are the two B's and, and, um, and, and that I love so much. And, and when I love how those things work together to, to me, you know, I love ba- baseball ministry and I love being at the field with Greenville. I help coach my high school team. Uh, cause I, we spend, no matter how old these kids are, high school kids at, at 15 to 18 years old, or talking to college kids who are in their, who are in their late teens and twenties, the language is still the same. Mm-hmm. You know, even when I played there, there, there's, there's, there's not, there's a barrier. We don't have to walk, break down. There's a certain language that we understand. And man, everything I think about when it comes biblically, I can really apply it to baseball in an instant. And it, it, it and it's hard to do it when you're, discipling people from like Walt Disney World campus. It takes a lot of learning. I have to ask them about them, their questions. What do they like? I give a baseball analogy. You're like, what? And then so I, I have to, I have to, I have to change it up. I have to learn about them, but baseball, baseball is my wheelhouse. And, and, and I love it. Well, God's given you one skill set to open one set of doors and he's going to challenge you to open another set of doors. Just, just like you have told us with your Disney ministry. Eddie, I could go on, but I, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, this has been phenomenal. I, I've really appreciated uh, your willingness to, to do this. I've enjoyed getting to know you over the last uh, couple of weeks, and, and hopefully I'll get a chance to see you again uh, in the not-too-distant future because I know you're going to be up here for some postseason baseball, right? Definitely. Well, we definitely will make that drive, Dan, and, and uh, man, be, be, be rooting for those Crusaders. I got you. Eddie, thanks. All right, have a great one, Dan. So there you go. What a great conversation with Eddie Tobitz. He always qualify that by saying it's got nothing to do with me. I try to pick the subject matter and ask some appropriate questions and, and get out of the way and let them take off. And, and man, that guy is good. Such a great perspective. And 
what God is doing in his life now is just phenomenal using the talents and the contacts he built over the years and turning that into a ministry. It's just incredible. And, you know, I, I mentioned during the broadcast too, uh, Eddie doesn't do broadcasting for a living, but he could, he, he has a talent and a knack when we were doing those games at North Greenville, he could look at a situation that was brewing and almost predict based on that situation what was going to happen. And and that comes from having that 11 years of big league experience and, and all the experience prior to that getting to the big leagues. The best I ever saw at that, doing it on a consistent basis, was Steve Stone when he was with the Cubs. And, and I don't watch a whole lot of other baseball now I'm assuming that Steve is still really good at that in his work with the Chicago White Sox. But when I used to watch the Cubs a lot when he was working with Harry Carey and, and subsequent partners after that, Steve Stone was the best at that. Assessing a situation and saying, well, based on what I'm seeing, this could happen. And then that exact thing happening. Eddie had that when we did those couple of broadcasts. It was phenomenal. We'll take a break. We'll come back and put a wrap on this episode 13 of the Dan Scott Show podcast right after this. Dan Scott here for Tadaro Pizza. You know, it's hard to believe I'm saying this, but I've been telling you about this bucket list dining experience that is Tadaro Pizza for more than 20 years now. Why am I still doing it? Well, because it's incredible. John and the gang at the Markley Street location here in Greenville have continued the tradition started by his family in New Jersey and brought to the upstate years ago by brother Chris to the Sloan Street location in Clemson. You don't last that long if the food and the service aren't top-notch. Well, they have because they are. And remember, Todaro has the lunchtime buffet, all you can eat for just 8 bucks. Other daily and weekly specials are always in play. And with the Markley Street Todaro location just down the street from Floor Field, what a great stop before or after a Greenville Drive game. Indoor and outdoor seating are available. Todaro Pizza, Greenville and Clemson, Tell them Dan Scott sent you. Let me tell you something, Cowboy. This rookie can really bring the heat. He's smoky and spicy with a Chipotle style all his own. It's a new Montgomery and Chipotle barbecue sauce. Make it a part of your home team. Available now at your neighborhood grocer or online at cincyfavorites.com. Grand Slam Ministries is a new nonprofit organization with a threefold mission. To share the love of Jesus Christ through broadcast and internet channels, including a new radio show, to mentor men of all ages to become the leaders the Bible calls us to be, better fathers, better husbands, better Christ followers. And you know there are kids who leave school on Friday who don't eat again until they come back on Monday. We want to make sure they have food and other essentials. To do these things, we need your support, financial and otherwise, including volunteering your time and talents. Find out how you can help us slam, serve, love, and mentor by visiting the Grand Slam Ministries Facebook page, or you can go to grandslamministries.org. The all-new Dan Scott Show, coming later this summer, will be presented by Grand Slam Ministries. Please prayerfully consider how you can support Grand Slam Ministries today. You really messed up. I really messed up. You forgot a gift for your best friends. And they live so far away. They're going to hate me. They're going to love you. What? You're sending them Cincy Favorites. Cincy Favorites? It's a sampler of their favorite flavors from Montgomery Inn. Graters, Gleers, La Rosa's, Skyline Chili, Queen City Sausage, and Longdale Farm. That's perfect. They're the only authorized online seller of these iconic brands, so trust no one else. And fast delivery, too. Are you eating it? No, I messed up. There's still time. Go to CincyFavorites.com now. That's CincyFavorites.com. Back to say a quick goodbye as we close out episode 13 of the Dan Scott Show podcast. Just want to remind you about the new venture that we are working on, Grand Slam Ministries, a brand new 501c3 nonprofit organization. You may have heard the little PSA uh, about it just a moment ago. and Just uh, ask for your prayers where that is concerned, and if you would like more information, Again, the email address is thedanscottshow at gmail.com. Still working on the website. If you go to grandslamministries.org right now, it's going to take you to our Facebook page. That's hopefully going to be changing in the very near future. 
but it'll get you to a place where you can interact with us one way or the other. Uh, and we're looking forward to being able to announce sometime in the next couple of months that what we're doing on the podcast is going to be going nationwide on the radio. So that is, uh, that is the first of what is going to be several steps that uh, we're hoping the Lord is going to fall uh, allow to fall into place where this is concerned. Thank you again to Eddie Tobinsey for hanging out with us. Just had such a great time chatting with him, talking baseball, talking about where God is leading him and Renee and their ministry. And now look forward to getting back with you again next time out. Again, we ask you to share the podcast, like it. We want to grow the audience. And if you have any comments or questions, please send them to me through the comments on the platform that you get the podcast or via email, thedanscottshow at gmail.com. On Twitter, it's Dan Scott Show. That's my handle. I try to keep it simple so I don't forget it. We will talk to you again next time. Thank you for listening. Until then, I'm Dan Scott saying God bless you and so long, everybody.